Welcome to The Lowdown, a podcast of news and ideas from the Columbia Alumni Association. I'm your host, Shanna Crumley, and this is The Future Is, a mini-series all about Columbia alumni who are the leaders of today and creators of tomorrow. You know, we don't have centuries before we're going to feel the full effects of, of climate change. We have decades and, and to me, that makes me really double down on my personal commitment to work in this, this area. Knowing what I know, I have to be doing this work. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I wasn't working um, to try to push our, our uh, policymakers to, to putting a price on carbon. When I was planning this mini-series, I looked for women who were innovators, doing something new and different in their respective fields. Nicole stood out to me because she's trading the science and climate change for advocacy. A self-described climate activist, Nicole Crishamano, a graduate of the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, is a bridge between climate science researchers and the rest of us. As the program coordinator for Climate Science Awareness and Solutions at Columbia's Earth Institute, she translates scary science into something we can understand and do something about. So I'm a program coordinator for Climate Science Awareness and Solutions. It's a program within the Earth Institute at Columbia, and I work for climate scientist Dr. James Hansen and his two uh, research science scientists. And right now they are doing cutting-edge climate research, but also doing policy advocacy work. So specifically, my boss is on the board of Citizens Climate Lobby, which is a, a group that advocates for putting a price on carbon pollution. And I actually run the New York City... Uh, chapter of Citizens Climate Lobby. So I consider myself, like I have a background in climate and society at Columbia in the Earth Science Department, and that was programs actually created by a group of climate science, scientists working at the IRI at Lamont Doherty. And essentially they were doing all this research and they were finding, you know, kind of overwhelming, scary results about climate change. They're like, we don't have the communication skills or the policy skills to go out and do something about this. So we're going to create this program that's kind of a crash course in basics of climate physics and climate science. And then also have, um, I did like a adapting and managing to climate class. I did like a sustainability class. So the idea was to bridge the climate science and the humanities in a way that people, people like myself would be trained to understand the basics of climate science, but then go out and do something about it. But with something as daunting as climate change, how does she keep the message from being just apocalyptic? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear hopefulness rather than like weariness, you know? <laughs> well, yes, that's actually something I think about a lot when communicating climate change to people. If you just give them the dreadful science and all these scary images, people go into this shutdown mode and they don't want to deal with it. They they want to, not to say deny it, but they'll just turn away from it. But if you can say, here's something actionable that you can do and there's people across this country who are doing something about it and I'm going to help train you and give you the skills to do this work, it people come away feeling like they've actually done something and they feel good about themselves and they feel fulfilled um, and that's what I'm personally trying to cultivate uh, in my members and to, uh, to that's who I want to be as a leader. In her free time, Nicole also takes that drive and applies it to her role as the president of the Citizens Climate Lobby 
New York City chapter. Citizens Climate Lobby is an advocacy group that helps volunteers lobby on climate policy. I, I train our members to communicate climate change and climate policy in a way that's meant to build bridges and connect on shared values rather than to end up in like arguments or disagreements. And then we actually go in to meetings with our members of Congress or their staffs, and we meet with meet with those offices to advocate for putting a price on carbon pollution. And this is getting a little bit like nerdy in the weeds here, but we specifically advocate for a what's called carbon fee and dividend. And this is getting a little bit like nerdy in the weeds here, but we specifically advocate for a what's called carbon fee and dividend. Don't worry, I didn't know what the carbon fee and dividend was either. Luckily, Nicole can explain. So Citizens Climate Lobby's policy that we are advocating for is to put a price on carbon pollution at the source. So that would be, in our policy, $15 a ton of carbon pollution at either the mine, the well, or the port of entry. And then all that revenue that's collected from, from that fee would be distributed on an equal basis as a, as a dividend check to the American public. So it's meant to be a conservative market approach to climate change because it's not growing the government and it is um, not a tax. Carbon tax, which would be revenue positive, grow the government, and we wouldn't get Republican support for that. And it also helps to protect middle income and low income families because they will get this, this dividend check back and be able to afford the increased costs of consumable goods that are made with fossil fuel energy until the energy transition occurs to renewable energy. And then uh, one, we're working to create the political will for a livable world. And two, we work to empower everyday citizens to be part of this, our democracy, and learn how to go and meet with their elected officials because they work for us. Everyone, every citizen needs to be participating in this democracy. We are living democracy together. And, you know, democracy isn't just voting one time a year. It's participating in your community. Nicole's path to climate activism itself was actually unusual. Back in college, Nicole double majored in studio art and environmental science and has always been interested in the intersection of the two. In undergrad and I was doing, you know, my art classes, I I was a painter, um, as you could tell from my, my website, and loved doing pa- landscape paintings and go outside and do some, you know, sketching. And then where I went to school, we had this, we were on 350 acres, so we had lots of land and we had this beautiful, what was called the sheep pasture with hills and trees. So I would get a lot of inspiration from, from there. This one artist who was down in Miami who was did this participatory project where he got the community members involved to help plant mangrove trees because they it was degraded down there. and But he was approaching it from the artist perspective versus a, a science perspective. And I'm hoping to at some point get to that place within my own practice, but because we have such a small window of time in terms of... Uh, you know, climate and to and to do something about it, I feel that I need to devote m- almost most of my energy to trying to get a price on carbon, at least at this point in my life. And I, I, I so I double majored in studio arts and environmental sciences, and I've always been really interested in the in the intersection of the two of them. Uh, and I did for my senior like um, a senior project, I did like a independent course on environmental artists and the history of environmental art, all the way up until up until the present where there's actually like artists who are using sort of uh, 
scientific processes to do reclamation work and who are going out and doing art about climate change. So I was looking with this paper, I was looking at artists who are using scientists from an art perspective and kind of comparing to how scientists might approach the same thing and saying how how like an art process and science process are different, but approaching a similar topic. So I've always been at this sort of intersection of sciences and the humanities, which uh, is sort of where I find myself now. Nicole's in my generation was born with some degree of climate awareness, but has she seen any difference in who's interested in this topic and who's responding? I mean, are we doomed? Is our generation going to destroy the world? Our generation was kind of born with some degree of of climate awareness. Mm-hmm. So like it's kind of been a buzzword for quite a while. Have you seen any differences in who's interested in this topic or who's more likely to respond? Are we are we doomed? Is our generation gonna destroy the world? Or like <laughs> I mean, I think there are some amazing young climate leaders. I was actually just finished up a year-long fellowship with the Young Climate Leaders Network, and it was 26, 26 uh, leaders from across the, the states, and we got together to for three retreats to, to do movement-building strategy and leadership development. But I came away with both you know great friendships but inspired by some of the amazing people who are – who are just like at the forefront of this, such as, um, and in terms of our, you know, the recent election and the political climate and the Republicans controlling all three branches of government, obviously I, I spent a good, good couple of weeks being very upset, but I will say that we have had such an increase in the amount of people who have joined Citizens Climate Lobby in my chapter that that has given me such hope and such inspiration that it's uh, giving me like the energy to con- keep fighting on, which is great. We we used to have about maybe ten people come to our me- our monthly meetings, and we've outgrown. My- we host our meetings in my co leader Phil's living room. We've outgrown that space, and we've had to have some of um, we've had to have the- a Brooklyn chapter start to be able to. Um, just actually just last week I was contacted by a theater group that's doing a putting together a play called um, This Sinking Island and it's about sea level rise and they want to I guess you could say partner in a way uh, with activists on, who are doing this type of work on the ground to inform the development of their play and then to also give future audience members a way to plug in and get involved. So these types of things are, are exciting to me and give me hope to keep going. Nicole mentioned that since the 2016 elections, she's seen a surge in membership and climate change interest. But are the demographics skewed? Who champions the issue? And who's affected the most by climate change? Is climate change a socioeconomic issue? To follow up on that, how, how is it in, in response to climate? Like, because you look at certain issues and they are very much dominated by, by groups that are interested in that particular area. So, like, mm-hmm. um, is climate a white policy thing? Is it a democratic thing? Is it exclusive? Is it inclusive? You know, how, yeah. how is the response to climate? So, so climate change will have the biggest, most negative impacts on marginalized communities, poor people, people in the Southern Hemisphere, those are the those are the at the hands of 
uh, white, rich, industrialized nations in the north. Uh, so, so those those communities and populations are the most vulnerable. And I think a lot about this, you know, my privilege, um, where I, my background, my experiences, where I come from, and I have the the luxury of choosing to to do this type of work, you know. I, yeah, so I think th- this idea of who's your audience and who you're speaking to, I rec- I've really learned to recognize my own white privilege, and I'm still trying to um, find the language around that. I'd, so I, I recognize that my position in life has set me up for a greater chance of su- success than someone who comes from a different background. Does that give you, like... I, I have the option to to decide to do this work. And Citizens Climate Lobby, a lot of people in my group are upper middle class white people because they have the time and resources to do the type of lobbying that needs to be done. And I think um, the people who are in vulnerable or marginalized communities, their focus is on their everyday survival. And, you know, they might not have time to go and meet with their Congress member or write a letter to their Congress member or call if they're worried about getting to their three jobs and picking up their kids and trying to go grocery shopping. Um, and so this is, I, I think about this a lot. Uh, I feel that it is, I have the the time and the privilege to do this work. So I'm going to, I know I need to do it and I'm doing it um, to try to protect the most vulnerable communities from the, the biggest impacts of climate change. But also think about how can we within the climate movement um, how can how can we meet those communities where they are? And there are there are those communities who are vulnerable doing some of the most necessary work. Mm-hmm. It might look different from the work that I'm doing, but if you look at you know the Native American tribes who are up in North Dakota, they're literally putting their bodies on the line. They are the frontline community. Um, so they know what it means to to struggle and resist, and the most to lose. And, to lose. Uh, and apparently, oil is going to start going through that pipeline this week. Um, so, i I'm trying to I'm trying to learn more about the environmental justice angle of this piece because it is so important, mm-hmm. um, and trying to learn from those communities because they have so much to offer. Sometimes the communities that are the most impacted, they have the best ideas about what to do. And it's how can I and others like myself extend either our privilege to help lift up those voices and those ideas. And that's really important. And um, I don't have the answer to that yet, but I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I like that because it's it's those things. So it sounds like the justice element of, of climate is, is perhaps one of the most um, collaborative or the most cross-sectional. That's actually super true. Uh, I've, what I've learned from being in this Young Climate Leaders uh, Fellowship this year is that all of our oppressions are connected. The Black Lives Matter movement is connected to climate justice because it's basically this idea of a you know, white patriarchy oppressing every other portion of society to free all those who are oppressed. We need to like band together and work together and yes, climate justice 
and racial justice are very much linked. I'm not so sure I, I'm the spokesperson for that, uh, but I'm trying to learn as much as possible. Does that give you a different sense of, of responsibility of what your place in the world represents? I'm, this is, so the Young Climate Leaders program was specifically designed to be very diverse. And it, um, so there was uh, participants who came from, one from the Dakota tribe up in uh, North Dakota who was fighting, fighting against the Dakota Access Pipeline, someone who's from uh, the Navajo tribes in Arizona, people of color, LGBT people. Uh, so, so really getting to have this diversity of experiences and perspectives. So I did a lot of listening. I did a lot of listening to, to try to learn and soak in as much information as possible. And this year I've really been trying to, to grapple with what, what does my privilege mean? What, what responsibility do I have to help the most vulnerable populations? Um, and, you know, I'm a person of pretty, uh, high morals for myself. Um, and I want to have the, the best, biggest impact on the world that I can. So this is something I, I am trying to figure out and consider. In addition to balancing those dynamics, Nicole has also thought a lot about the challenges of being a woman in the workplace. And I actually had this conversation with one of my friends recently uh, talking about how women have to try to be like a man to fit in the man's world of power. And I don't think that's necessarily the way that I, I personally want to be or that women need to be because we have we tend to block out or, you know, push down our more feminine qualities, which are, are needed and they're powerful and they are needed to do the change work that's so necessary in this, in this moment in time. Um, I really think that as a, you know, collectively women need to tap into our more feminine uh, energy and power and that, that could really help to heal some of the things going on in our world right now. Uh, that gives me a lot of hope. And I'm trying to figure out my place within hopefully this shifting of tides. <laughs> and what better analogy for a climate activist bridging climate science with humanity? To learn more about Nicole's art, the Citizens Climate Lobby, or the Earth Institute of Columbia University, check out the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to The Lowdown and this mini-series, The Future Is... This episode was produced by Shanna Crumley and the Columbia Alumni Association. Columbia University is a mecca of great ideas in one of the world's greatest cities. And with more than 330,000 Columbia alumni who are leaders in every field imaginable and spread across the world, the Columbia Alumni Association brings you the latest musings, updates, and insights from Columbia University. Learn more about the Columbia Alumni Association at alumni.columbia.edu. And to get even more news and ideas from Columbia, check out thelowdown.alumni.columbia.edu.